This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. You've heard of Facebook, right? Huge site, over 2 billion people visiting it every day. But what's it like actually working there? I talked with Reggie Murphy to find out. We work with probably the smartest, brightest, most talented people in the world. That's how Facebook hires. You know, now, every day, you've got to bring your best uh, because you know you're working with everybody else who is really at the top of their game and they're bringing their best. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's, an, it's challenging in a way, but it's also inspiring. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at provisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Buffer is looking for an Android developer for a remote position. And AnitaB.org is looking for a UI UX designer in Palo Alto, California. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Provision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. You know, automation is really huge right now, and the great thing about MailChimp is how they use automation to help make your email marketing efforts more powerful. So you can set up automations to reward the most active people on your list. And if you do e-commerce, you can send order notifications and follow up on purchases. All of this is available on all of MailChimp's account, including the free one. So sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. Your online identity really begins with your domain name. You know, no matter what kind of an artist or a designer you are, showcasing your passion online is super important. Hover makes the process of finding a domain super simple, with choices from hundreds of domain extensions, personalized email, and award-winning customer service. Just go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional business or enterprise projects. They let you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple options that your websites can grow into. All plans have managed WordPress hosting, and they include staging and Git integration. So get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path so you can get 60% off on all your hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview. This month is dedicated to one of our sponsors, MailChimp, so all of the interviews this month were recorded at MailChimp's headquarters here in Atlanta, Georgia. So first up, we're talking to Eric Muntz, MailChimp's Vice President of Development. Let's start the show. 
All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Eric Muntz. I'm the Vice President of Development at MailChimp. So that means that I run the teams that build our products. We have two groups in engineering here, ops and dev. I like to view them as infrastructure and product. Okay. And so I run the the side that would be called product there. It's our backend engineers, front-end engineers, our mobile engineering team, and our testing team. And now you've been here at MailChimp for a pretty good while. You've sort of built up the state of your career here for the past few years, right? Correct. Yep. I've been here for seven and a half years. Wow. I was the third engineer and 33rd employee. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. How have you seen MailChimp change in those seven years? Well, from an engineering standpoint, uh, we have gotten less lean. We've moved from a very small number of generalists to a larger number of specialists. Because of that, we have formalized processes, done most of the things that companies do when they move from kind of the startup phase to the grown-up phase. We have standardized processes and we actually have an org chart (laughs) with layers (laughs) in it now. When I started, the distance between anyone and the CEO was probably at max two. And now with over 200 folks in overall engineering, you know, we have management philosophies and practices and, you know, sort of a just official company approaches. Mm-hmm. What's it like working here? I mean, you've really kind of seen this company, you know, almost from the beginning. Yeah, it's super fun. So our core values are humility, creativity, and independence. And I believe we hold really true to those core values. It's uh, actually a happy accident that that's also HCI. Mm-hmm. And our <laughs> <laughs> one of our founders has a background in something pretty close to HCI. is in industrial design. Mm-hmm. And so HCI is a thing that's actually pretty important to us. So the, the, you know, the cross between design, usability, and engineering, and all of those things coming together is just pretty unique and part of our special sauce. How did you first find out about MailChimp? Oh, this is my favorite story. So my origin story at MailChimp, I had known of them just before I became a customer. Okay. So I was running a consulting business and we basically did staff augmentation. It was super small. It was me and one other full-time person, maybe a couple other part-time folks. And as happens with most consulting businesses, I would look around and realize that the only thing we had of value is our time. And so I thought, well, I really want to get past that hump and start to build products and have something a little more tangible that's of value. So I decided to start building products. I knew that I'm a terrible marketer. So I decided to start building products by following a system called Lycan as a business model. Okay. So that basically means find a gigantic host and find something that they need for their customers that you can serve. So what I did, I was using a company called FreshBooks for invoicing. And it turned out my specialty in software at the time was building BlackBerry applications. You may remember things called Blackberries. (laughs) Uh, This was 2009. So I built a BlackBerry application for FreshBooks. Okay. And to market that application, I used MailChimp. Hmm. And then along the way, I realized MailChimp didn't have a BlackBerry application. So I built one. In December of 2009, I sent an email asking for permission. I basically said, I'm an engineer. I'm by myself. I am terrible at design. 
So I'm going to just take all of MailChimp's colors and styles, and I hope that's okay. I'd like to call it MiniChimp, and I hope <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and they said, absolutely, all of those things are great. They pointed me to you know their design system and where to go and grab colors and logos and everything. And I launched it toward the end of 2009 mm-hmm. and immediately got an email from CEO of MailChimp, Ben Chestnut, saying, hey, it looks like you're in Atlanta, and we really like your app, and it's hard for us to find good engineers. Would you like a job? Wow. And I said, nope. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. I said, nope. Thanks anyway. Consulting's going really well. You probably can't afford me. <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to build a product business and, and do that. And Ben said, hey, that's cool. We understand. We love, we love entrepreneurs. That's, that's who we serve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let us know if you change your mind. And I started saying, well, I have a friend who probably is in need of a job. And he said, oh, that's great. Tell him to just send code because that's all we care about. And I was just like, wow, this place kind of sounds awesome. So he and I emailed back and forth a few times. And I said, you know what? I think I want to recant. I think I'd like to come in and chat. And I did and started here on Valentine's Day 2010. Wow. That's quite a story. You you <laughs> turned them down initially. And then yep. you came back and were like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Yep. Uh, the more he talked about what it is they wanted in engineers, the more I thought this would be a great home for me. And I was right. Nice. So, with everything that you're doing here at MailChimp, can you kind of walk me through what a typical day is like for you? Yeah, sure. A typical day is a lot of meetings. I meet with the leadership team in development to talk about what we're working on. It basically starts for me strategically with the rest of senior leadership. I start every morning with a huddle with our VP of operations, Joe. He and I are partners in crime on engineering here. And we meet every morning to talk through big things going on strategically and execution wise with our teams. And then I'll meet with a couple of the leaders on my team and and talk over what's going on with the teams, what's going on with current projects, what's what the product is looking like at the moment. Every Thursday, I spend about four to six hours in a meeting called showcases where our teams show off the work that they're doing and show what they've done over their last two weeks and ask for guidance on what to do for their next two weeks. Mm -hmm. Depending on the day of the week, I'll have maybe an hour-long meeting with other senior leaders. And yeah, lots of meetings, lots of strategizing and trying to get folks to execute on on MailChimp's vision. Talk to me more about the the showcase part. Why is that important to include with the meetings that you're doing? Uh, I think that's actually maybe the most important meeting I have during the week. I get to see what every individual product team is working on and how things are progressing. So what we do here is we plan a quarter at a time. We take one full week at the beginning of each quarter. It's called planning week. Mm. And everyone stops executing on what they're doing and spends that entire week planning. Every single team, every engineer, back end, front end, all the designers, project managers, product managers, the whole group gets together and plans. And then after that, they start executing on that plan. And it's just super important to see every two weeks what's actually being implemented and produced. And sometimes it's designs. Sometimes it's a script spitting out dots showing that, hey, I've written some unit tests and I'm mm-hmm. working toward the way this works. And sometimes it's a fully polished product that's you know behind feature flags in production for us to review. And it's just invaluable for everyone to be able to see it all together talk it through all together, get feedback, and then make sure the teams align on where they're headed. Now, since you've you know been here as long as you have and you've really seen how the company has grown, how your departments have grown, 
Do you have a certain philosophy that kind of drives you in your position as VP of development? A philosophy, I would say, I probably would answer that by saying that our engineering mission statement is the overall team's philosophy. Okay. So the engineering mission statement is that we give marketers production-ready software designed to help them grow. That's the what. And the how is that we succeed through togetherness, momentum, and pragmatism. And so you'll find my philosophy and Joe's philosophy kind of embedded within that mission statement. And our team really, really lives that. And the thing that we feel great about that mission statement is that there's great tension between all of the words. So, for example, momentum is in there, but if you had momentum just on its own and that was the only thing you cared about, you'd end up not producing production-ready software, Mm -hmm. right? Or software that is designed to help your customers grow. And designed can mean design from an aesthetic standpoint, but also from an architectural standpoint, right? So I believe my philosophy is that, that you need to have tension across all of those things at all times, because if you just had production-ready software without momentum, you'd launch every 12 to 18 months and your small businesses who really need you to be iterating and innovating would think you've gone away, right? And, and they would lose trust in your system. Mm-hmm. What would you say is probably the best quality for Let's say, you know, for people that are listening that want to work for MailChimp, what do you think is the best quality that a MailChimp employee should have? Hmm, The single best quality probably boils down to curiosity. Okay. Being the type of person who sees something and would be curious about how that works or why it was implemented and will follow up on that curiosity, right? Ask questions on why was it done this way? Mm -hmm. Why do we think about it that way? Or see a system and not just say, take for granted, right? That that's, oh, that's the way that framework works. And I'm just going to go along with that. But they'd be curious. Well, I wonder how it works the way it works and continually dig in and just following through on all those curiosities. I think that's probably the the single quality. I want to go back to your college time. Okay. So you and I have something in common in that we both went to college for math. Yeah. Why'd you choose math? I know why I chose I, I chose math. Well, I'm not going to go into why I chose math, but why did you why did you choose to go to college for math? Well, I actually didn't choose to go to college for math. I chose to go to college for electrical engineering. Okay. With this grand vision that I would be doing electronics, and I had this just super uh, I don't know what I'd call it, probably romantic vision of what the electronics world looked like. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I got to college and realized that the electronics world looked very analog and maybe a little archaic Mm -hmm. and was less than thrilled about breadboards and sticking wires into breadboards and and playing with that. Mm -hmm. So I took a step back and said, okay, well, maybe I'll major in this other type of engineering. At that point, it was computer science. Uh, I went to Auburn and War Eagle and I love (laughs) Auburn, but at the time, their computer science department was a little bit antiquated. So Uh the main language was something called Ada that not a lot of people have written a lot of code in. I actually love the language. It's very strongly typed and kind of fun, but it's not widely in use. Mm -hmm. Java was the new hotness coming out at the time. It was the early to mid nineties and it just wasn't even offered. So I said, well, instead of doing that, I think I'll just go be a teacher and teach math. And so I went into math education Okay, (laughs) and then decided along the way that, you know what, I could major in math and decide later if I wanted to teach or if I wanted to apply math in some sort of special way and really just got into math as its own function. And then I ended up there. It was a journey. I I find for me, it throws people off when they see that I went to college for math. 
because <laughs> everyone tends to have this this aversion to math. They're like, oh, I can't believe math. I hate math. Like, <laughs> like, like you, I went to school starting in engineering. I wanted to do computer science, computer engineering, because I wanted to be like like Dwayne Wayne from a different world. <laughs> yes, yes. And and then I got to you know I went to Morehouse here in Atlanta. Got there and it was just. I just had bad teachers, I think. Like, it really didn't make me want to learn it. Like, my teachers had this weird philosophy of, like, I'm going to just spend 60 minutes talking about whatever anecdotes come to mind. Mm -hmm. And then for anyone who sticks around after those 60 minutes, then I'll start teaching. And it's like, I got other classes and stuff to go to. And You know, I think that you're hitting on exactly why I ended up in math, though. Mm Mm-hmm is a teacher. I had the very first class I had eight o'clock in the morning, my freshman year. Mine was eight o'clock too. It was calculus. And the professor was just earth shatteringly amazing. He was tough. He was really, really tough. Uh Challenged you a lot, but he just got me so interested in math that I really just wanted to take more classes with him. I'm like, well, I'll just stick with math. Mm -hmm. He did this thing where he wouldn't hand test back you had to go to his office and sit in front of him while he graded them in front of you. Wow. Super intimidating. But once you got <laughs> over that, you would see he would kind of teach you as he's grading your paper. And you yeah. got so much more out of it than just getting a piece of paper back with red all over it. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say that because I think really the teacher is what got me to study math. Yeah. Like my computer science teacher just kind of ended up driving me away from it. And Mm -hmm. I remember wanting to do more stuff with the web because I had already been playing around with HTML and with graphics and things. And he's like, if if that's what you want to do, you need to change your major because you're not going to do that in the computer science department. I ended up going to math because I I actually really liked math. I was captain of the mathletes. Nice. In (laughs) in high school. And a lot of my credits carried over. I took AP calc and everything. So I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll just switch over and do math. And I'd be, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it, but graduating, I could not find a job in it afterwards because yep. it wasn't an applied math. It was pure math. Like it was differential equations, advanced mm-hmm. calculus, topology. Mm-hmm. Topology was my favorite. That's what I took a graduate sequence in topology. It's what I really like. Got. Like my senior seminar was on measure theoretic entropy and sigma oh, algebra wow. and Lie groups mm-hmm. and. I couldn't. I, it's so funny because I dug my thesis up like a few weeks ago just to see if I still remembered it, which I did. And I was like, <laughs> I just did it because I liked it. You know, I didn't think about like what the prospects would be sort of after it. I guess, first of all, I'm curious, why Auburn? Are you from <laughs> Alabama by any chance? Not. Okay. I went to high school in Marietta. I went to Marietta High School. Okay. This is the least romantic story of something <laughs> college you're probably ever going to hear. But I am pretty lazy. <laughs> and I took the SAT. I don't know how it works now because this was quite a while ago. But mm-hmm. at the time, you'd take the SAT and one of the first sections had a list of schools that you could select to have your score sent to. Okay. So, I just selected schools I knew of and I'd heard of and were nearby. Mm-hmm. And so, I selected Auburn. And after I took the SAT, I got a letter from Auburn that said, we got your scores and you've been pre-selected to attend Auburn. You've been whatever you would call that. Okay. Uh, pre-accepted, I guess is the term. <laughs> uh, so basically check this box if you'd like to go to Auburn. And I said, well, that makes this decision pretty easy. So I said, mom, I'm going to Auburn. And she said, cool. <laughs> and that's the story. That's the story. <laughs> 
<laughs> so no no abiding love for War Eagle or no. I mean like that, that was formed when I got there. Yeah, for sure. But nope, there was no kind of historical <laughs> love for it. There was no grandpa went there or yeah. you know major enemy went to Alabama or anything like that. It okay. was. It was laziness. Okay. <laughs> I was just asking because I'm, I'm from Alabama. Ah, okay. Oh. And there's always, like, I don't have a dog in that fight okay. in terms of okay. if it's Roll Tide or War Eagle. I could care <laughs> well, less personally, but. War Eagle is the correct answer. Okay. <laughs> but I know that that was always a thing of like, you know, are you going to go to UA or were you going to go to, to Auburn? I'm like, eh. I wanted to actually get out of Alabama. Like, <laughs> I left Alabama two weeks after graduation. Like, I got to oh, go. Wow. Like, I got to find something else that's not in this state yep. that's the totally world outside. That. So yeah. your consulting work, tell me about that since that seemed to be kind of the gateway into you coming here into MailChimp. Yeah. So I spent three years in the early 2000s in Washington, D.C. Okay. My girlfriend, when I was in the late 90s, early 2000s, got accepted into George Washington University for grad school. Mm-hmm. She moved up there and we had this kind of, should you move, should you not situation going on. The dot-com I was at was clearly failing and we were still on the fence. And then 9-11 happened mm. and I resigned from my job on September 12th. Oh, wow. Moved to DC in October of 2001. And because, you know, my wife or my, my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, so I made the right call, was, <laughs> uh, was you know, standing outside of a train station near the Pentagon when terrorists a plane into it. So kind of changed your priorities. And yeah. it's like, yeah, you'll move to DC. So I moved up there. I consulted with the startup while they kind of closed up shop for a while. And then I got a job with the government. My job there was with the federal judiciary. So I served federal probation and pretrial officers. So mm. these are officers who are kind of half social work, half law enforcement. They're dealing with offenders who are either on their way into federal prison or on their way out of federal prison. Mm-hmm. And I built software to help them manage their caseloads. Okay. It was um, an interesting change going from a startup to the government. But what that taught me, though, is that you really have to like the software you're working on to be happy at your job. Mm -hmm. Because there was some red tape and the frameworks and systems were a little antiquated. But I really liked the officers and the work I was able to provide for them. Yeah. So when I came back to Atlanta, I had a couple of different jobs. I worked at Mannheim. Which is an auto auction company mm-hmm. owned by Cox. And then I went as a contractor and then I went back to the government working with that same group in DC. And I went back to Mannheim and then I went back again to the government because I really realized that I liked building the software for those officers and I needed to really like what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so the final switch back there was as a subcontractor. And I used that to sort of springboard a consulting business. I had one big client and it was the federal government. They literally print money. So, it kind of worked out well for business. Yeah. And then I would take on other small projects from time to time. So, small software companies either in Atlanta or folks I knew through my network or, you know, network to network to network folks who would say, you know, I need either an engineer to go and solve this project or I need a manager or sort of an engineering leader to help me run this small team. Mm -hmm. Usually, it was an offshore team that they needed someone to kind of help wrangle. And so, that's what I did for several years before... Finding MailChimp. How do you think that time as an entrepreneur has served you in your work here at MailChimp? It has given me a true connection with small businesses and entrepreneurs who are MailChimp's customers in a way that I wouldn't have had I not done that. I realized that in consulting, very much like 
say contracting, right? So maybe we've got a customer who's a home repair contractor. I know that that person has two modes. They either overbook or they go broke. Mm -hmm. And I learned that the hard way by running a consulting business. Mm -hmm. I either stretched everything to the very limit and kept future work coming in, or I sat back and I ended up without future work coming in and I had to worry about where the food on the table was going to be coming from. Yeah. So it really gave me a, a lot of empathy for what goes on with an entrepreneur in a small business. Now, what would you say is your biggest challenge working? I mean, you're over such a big department with all these engineers and developers. What's the biggest challenge that you face on a regular basis? My biggest challenge is the, is the biggest challenge probably for anyone doing product engineering work. And it's focus and ability to work on trade-offs within the product organization. So being a math guy, you'll understand this. Something I say pretty frequently is, yes, a lot of people want to solve problems by hiring more engineers and hiring more designers and people to build product. But they need to, people need to understand in building software that if you had a bucket with an infinite number of engineers and designers in it and another bucket with an infinite number of ideas for your product in it, mm -hmm. the cardinality of the number of ideas is always going to be drastically higher than the cardinality yeah. of what the team can do. Mm -hmm. Always. It's just welcome to product. Everyone has ideas and things that, that they would like to get done. Mm -hmm. So the biggest challenge for me is managing that, managing the ability to focus and really make the right trade-offs for our users while staying nimble enough that we can be really true to our core values and true to innovation and the innovative spirit that small businesses need out of products that they use. So juggling all of that is my biggest challenge by far. Being here in Atlanta as long as you have, like you went to high school here, you've you know come back and forth here. I'm sure you've really kind of seen the city change a lot over the years. With that being said, how in tune are you with kind of the, I guess, tech communities here as it relates to things that are going on with startups and things like that? I'm fairly in tune. So my the job that I got to pay my way through college was at a software company in Atlanta called Infographics. It was run by my stepfather, who's a <laughs> serial software entrepreneur. <laughs> so because of him, I'm fairly in tune with what's going on in the entrepreneur tech community. Okay. He also started the startup I was at in the 90s that was failing around uh, the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And even though I've come back, that network of folks has stayed in Atlanta. So, for example, our attorney from that startup is now the CEO of a company called Cabbage, which is a, oh, yeah. a local startup. So I know folks there. And just following those trails and then, you know, going to events and talking with other folks, Atlanta is such a small community, even though it's a big sprawling city with lots of folks. As mm -hmm. far as a tech community goes, I think it's a pretty small community. It's hard to hard to throw a stone and not hit someone that you know if you've been here for 20 years. What do you think attracts people here? I think the cost of living, the weather I mean, living in D.C. for a few years, I can say I thought that winters wouldn't be bad. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a fan of it still being freezing in April. <laughs> but yeah, the cost of living, the weather for companies, the airport, and the vast amount of agencies around and in the Atlanta area is super, super useful. Mm -hmm. And then there's great schools. There's Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Kennesaw. 
Morehouse, Spelman, all of those schools that just bring in great, smart, talented folks, it makes it really solid for engineering companies. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people realize that that big mix of things is what makes Atlanta such an attractive city for companies. I feel like people tend to look at at Atlanta strictly just as like an entertainment city (laughs) or a party city. But also, like you say, we've got those strong industries. We, of course, have strong biotech industries here. Mm -hmm. CDC is here. And you've got a lot of Fortune 500 companies that come here because of that, you know, that mix of the weather, the cost of living, the available talent, the schools here. Like it's, I don't know anywhere else where you would get, well, there's probably bigger cities, maybe like New York or something. But when I think about the diversity of talent, yeah, I mean, Atlanta, I don't think can be beat when it comes to that. I agree. And and there are some bigger cities that may have a little more to offer in some areas, but in those bigger cities, the cost of living aspect, you know, and the good schools and things like that really start to start to fall down. So I think that, you know, Austin, maybe Seattle or Portland are probably the only comparable cities as far as sort of a mix of those things, but they mm-hmm. don't have nearly the diversity, at least in my experience, that that I see in Atlanta. Yeah. I could definitely see that with Austin. Yeah, I could see that. I can see that. Yeah. I kind of want to, you know, switch gears here a little bit. I mean, I know that you, you've mentioned, you know, your stepfather and other mm-hmm. people throughout your, your career. Who have been some mentors that have really helped you out as you've gotten to where you are today? Well, I think that my grandfather and my stepfather are the first ones. My grandfather was a, an electrician, an electrical engineer. And, you know, without him, my love of math and all of that may have never happened. He bought a VIC-20 and a Commodore 64 back when I was in elementary school and taught me how to write code on it. So, he's mm. the he's the first one. And then my stepfather, really, I would, I mean, I would be a math teacher, which, you know, nothing against that at all. Um, <laughs> math teachers are great. Yeah. But if he hadn't said, I see you struggling with financially affording college, I want you to finish college. So, you're going to come to work with me and use that to pay for college. And you're going to learn Unix because that's the future and that's what you need to learn. <laughs> Hop in the car and come to work with me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here. And what's amazing about him is that I'm not the only one he's done that with. Mm. My best friend is a graphic artist who was more into fine art. And he convinced him to spend every bit of savings he had earned through summer job and buy a Macintosh and learn how to do graphic arts. Wow. And that's his career now. So, you know, if you judge a man by the number of people they've impacted in their life, I think he gets a pretty good mark. So, he's been a significant influence there. And then, you know, within career, there's obviously been folks who took me under their wing. So, when I worked at that company, I worked really hard because, you know, for me, people finding out that I was the boss's kid because it wasn't (laughs) immediately apparent, right? So, I'm a very white-looking biracial man. Mm -hmm. My father, my stepfather is a black man, Mm -hmm. right? So, it was maybe until we'd be in meetings and I'd be the only one willing to challenge him that people were like, who is this, right? And someone (laughs) would say, oh, that's Ken's son. So, when people would discover that, all I wanted for them to do is forget that, Yeah, right? So, my approach there was to work as hard as I possibly could so that they would forget the fact that I got my job because I was the boss's son. Mm -hmm. So, people saw me doing that and saw me learning to write code. I actually had a job in QA with them for a while and I learned to write code to do some automated tests mm-hmm. and an engineer saw that and said, oh, you can write code. We need help writing code, fixing some bugs. You should come back and 
in your next summer or quarter off of school, you should come back and write some code for us and be a software engineer. Mm-hmm. And he really took me under his wing and taught me how to do things, taught me how to you know use source control and some of the things that you fumble early on as a junior engineer. And then he was the architect of the startup in the 90s. And part of the reason I decided to join was because I'd get to work with him. And so some of the way I write code, even the way I name variables is just a tribute to him, really. Nice. What compromises have you had to make to get to where you are today? Ooh, that's a question. What compromises? Well, so hitting on that note, one of the compromises was sort of a dream of going further in math. So I, as we said earlier, I got really into topology. I took a graduate sequence in topology and my original plan was to go get a job, make some money, and then go back to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a long time to get through college because college was really hard to afford. So I spent six years getting through college. I'd work for a quarter, go back to school for a quarter, work for a quarter, and, and on and on. So I was tired of being broke. So I said, I'm going to go get a job, just kind of have a job for about a year, and then re-examine and go back to school. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I had that job and realized money's kind of awesome. And <laughs> school was done. I was not going back to school. Right. But, you know, one of the things about about compromises, so you may have heard the adage that when you're getting something done to your home, you can pick good, fast, or cheap, mm-hmm. right? You can pick two. Mm-hmm. I've heard someone say once that in life as a working professional, you can choose job, friends, family, fitness, or sleep, and you can choose three of those. <laughs> and so, I kind of thought, you know... That's maybe not true for everybody, but it has been true for me, at least in the last decade or so. Mm -hmm. I have chosen job, fitness, and family. Mm -hmm. And I have very few close friends, but I'm very close with those very few close friends. Mm -hmm. I have people at work who I probably consider friends more than people who are external that I consider friends. And I just don't sleep a whole lot. Mm. I've never heard that sort of pentagon of... (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know that it's necessarily true for everyone, but I can say in my case, it definitely has been true. So I guess kind of, you know, speaking on fitness, you are a Krav Maga instructor. I am. Okay. Of course, I want to know how you got into it, but also how are you balancing this work that you're doing at MailChimp? You're also a family man yep, and you're like kicking ass on the side. Like, (laughs) Like how are you balancing all of this together? Yeah. So fitness is super important for me. I am very high anxiety and I have been to a therapist to work through my anxieties. And one of the things that my therapist and I truly agreed on is that physical fitness and particularly something like self-defense in Krav Maga is going to be really important for me with anxiety. And I have noticed that it's, it's very true. And my wife is fully on board and oftentimes calls it, you need to go take your medicine. You need to go do some Krav Maga. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, when I say that, think that what I mean is I get my aggression out by going and punching something. Mm-hmm. But the great thing for me about Krav Maga is that during an hour of Krav Maga, the only thing I'm able to focus on is that task. Mm-hmm. If I go and swim for an hour or I run for an hour, after about 10 minutes, the motion gets repetitive. And it almost gets meditative Mm -hmm. and all of my worries come to the foreground and I'll run for a mile and not even have remembered being running because I'll have been worrying about everything going on in life. Now, after an hour of Krav Maga, 
I have worried about nothing other than learning how to get out of a choke or a bear hug or mm-hmm. punch or kick a thing. And so it's very, very therapeutic for me because it takes my worries and puts them somewhere else for some amount of time. What is it that keeps you motivated and inspired in your work? Well, first off, the goals of MailChimp. Having been here when we had 270,000 customers and seeing now 15 plus million, that's motivating. And I want to see that keep going. I'm a pretty competitive person. And so I would really like to see world domination as a thing. I think that's super, Just it just gets me up, right? I love what we're doing. I love our team. I love seeing that I've been here long enough that there are folks now who are in senior roles that started here in junior roles and watching their careers progress and watching them continue to have more and more satisfaction and autonomy and just overall happiness in their, in their careers is just amazing to me. It just feels so good. And so those are the kind of things that keep me motivated and keep me up. I think our apprenticeship program is something I helped start several years ago and I think earlier this year, we counted something like one out of six or seven on our back end and front end engineering teams came either through the apprenticeship program or from other departments here. And that just feels phenomenal. Can you talk a little bit about that program? Yeah, yeah. So the apprenticeship program, it started when we actually had a woman in support reach out to Zappos and ask them about their views on customer service. And they came in and talked to us. And one of the things they mentioned was that they had an apprenticeship program. And it really piqued my interest. So I went and met with our chief culture officer, Marty Wolf, and said, I would really like to do this. And I think the only thing we have to do is just say, let's try it and ask for whoever it is that applies and gets the position that their job is held for them for three months. So what we do is we post jobs that are basically entry-level engineering jobs, either in back-end, front-end, or coming very soon, mobile. And people apply, and we interview them. We run them through the, the regular interview process that they would be going through for a junior engineer, maybe slightly junior, junior engineer. And then if they're accepted, they come and work on our team for three months. Their job is held for three months. And at the end of the three-month period, we all get together and decide, you know, is this something that you're interested in? Do you want to come join us? Do we think you'd be a great fit and an asset to the team? And I don't know the number. I think it's probably somewhere around 10 that we've had go through that process. And they are now some of the more high level, more contributing folks on our team. And it's just amazing how well it's worked out for us. And There's something truly special about someone who came, say, from support and is now doing engineering work, providing features and solid functionality to folks who they helped support from Mm -hmm. the product standpoint months ago. It's just been phenomenal for us. What do you want to accomplish for the rest of this year? Uh, Land some planes. We've got some great features on the way. Um, So we'd like to get some, some planes landed there and then get started on executing on the next strategic pieces for MailChimp. Okay. So no, I know you can't go <laughs> like too deep into things, but that basically was, just. That was well-crafted. Yeah. Yeah. That was, was pretty like, good. Uh, God willing, I'll just like to help the ball club. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that I, I, um, I tend to ask people, especially when they're at a pretty high level and, and have been 
in the industry for as long as, as you have been is what's kind of the biggest mistake that you see people in your industry make? So like we're, we're talking about tech here. Sure. What's the biggest mistake that you see people in tech making? I think from a hiring standpoint, the number one thing that sticks out to me is um, caring about pedigree and language and framework and environment choice when they're hiring. We are a PHP shop mainly. And if we said we're only going to hire people who have X amount of PHP experience, as opposed to saying we will hire people who are good engineers or extremely curious engineers, Mm -hmm. we would not have nearly the amazing team that we've got. So I, I think there has been a tendency toward hiring for a specific specialty. And I think that that's a huge mistake. If you're really wanting to build a world-class team, you hire for culture fit, team fit, and core value fit. Whatever your core values are, you hire for that, not for, yes, they have 15 years of Java experience. So they will be a successful team member because we do Java. Mm -hmm. It could be that they have 15 years of PHP and they would be great working in your Java stack as long as you're willing to hire them to come work in your Java stack. Where do you see yourself? I mean, since you've been here for a while, I'm just yeah. curious. Like, where do you see yourself in the next five years? <laughs> it's interesting. My aspirations are not really title driven. I would like to continue helping our engineering team and our company build a great product with respect to engineering. Mm-hmm. I mean, engineering is a thing I'm good at. I spent some time running product, which at the time meant running engineering and design and QA. And once design grew to more than about five people, that became not a good fit. I can look at design and say, that's good and that's bad. I can't tell you how to go from there to there. <laughs> so for me, you know, stay where, where my strong suits lie, which is in engineering. But I've always been the kind of engineer who likes and I like to think is good at talking with non-engineers about how engineering can help them or help the company or really drive things. And so title-wise... I don't know, five years from now, VP of engineering, but with a phenomenal world-class team doing phenomenal world-class things, I consider myself a lifer. I love this place. Nice. That's good to hear. Well, Eric, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you Mm -hmm. and about the work that you're doing online? Yep. They can uh, find me on Twitter. My handle is at Munson, M-U-N-T-Z-E-N. And that's pretty much it. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. But if you want to see pictures of my kids, that's probably the only only thing that really happens there. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> Eric Mutz, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the show. I, I I'm really you know kind of interested you know, and I'm glad that you shared kind of this unconventional story of getting into this. But you know, I think there's something to be said for being at a place and really seeing the culture grow and helping the culture grow, not just from a hiring perspective, but also from a, an infrastructure perspective, you know, making sure that, like you say, you're building that world-class team. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been a MailChimp customer for years. I mean, awesome. prob- probably since before you came on, I've been using oh, wow. MailChimp. Awesome. I've been Great. using it for a long time. So I think the fact that both the company and the software have both matured into the platform that they are now is, is thanks to you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate <laughs> you're it. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thoughts of love are in And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Eric Munts and thanks to you for listening. 
You can find out more about Eric and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. Automate your marketing efforts, put your data to work, and watch the results roll in. Just visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. Not only do they offer free private domain registration, but you can get your choice of domain extensions, and you can connect these to your WordPress site, your Dribbble profile, even your LinkedIn profile. You ready to get started? Just go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites more easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit siteground.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. First, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and secondly, leave us a rating and a review there. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings there for Design Podcasts, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, learn about upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.